Hello everyone, my guest today is Florian Heinemann, who is the founding partner of Product A Ventures. Before co-founding Product A, he was managing director at Rocket Internet. Moreover, he has been an investor and business angel in more than 80 startups, including Trivago, Zalando, Audiobean, and Home24, among many others. So Florian, it's such a pleasure to have you on the show today. Thanks a lot for having me. Yeah, it's great to have you, man. So you're in Berlin too, as well as me. You have a crazy story. I've heard a lot of things about you listen to podcasts that you gave in the past and you're obviously known in the German and European startups in very well, but how did you actually get to where you are today? Um, uh, like very honestly, uh, or to, to, to put it very honest, uh, just a lot of accidents, I guess, or, or by chance. Um, I mean, I, start, I studied until 1999 and the older ones uh, among you might remember that. That was kind of the heydays of the first wave of digital startups um, in Germany. I mean, in the US, obviously, it started a little earlier, you know, with like Amazon, I think it started in 94. But the startup scene in Germany really started 98, 99, like the digital startup scene. And I just happened to graduate uh, from a school uh, where, uh, you know, there was quite a lot of entrepreneurial activity quite early, uh, the, the WHU. Um, and um, and I was just asked by, by a startup team, um, that was planning to do a marketplace for used uh, student books, where they would like to join them uh, as, as a co-founder. Um, but that was more or less by accident, uh, because originally I had planned to do um, a doctorate's degree or, or PhD in, in uh, um, accounting, which is probably not the, most <laughs> not the most entrepreneurial topic. Um, and uh, to, to, to do, uh, but it was a great professor, Professor Weber. And actually the, the people that I did the first startup with were all like um, doctorate students um, from, from his kind of chair. Yeah? So, so, and that, that's how I got into it. And I, I basically was 23 years old um, when, when graduating. So I thought, you know, I didn't have any kids, any family. I didn't even have a girlfriend back then. So I thought, you know, nothing to lose. Uh, why not uh, try this out? And if it doesn't work, uh, I, you know, I can still go back and, and do this doctorate degree. And so that's how I got into it. And um, since then, I've never left the entrepreneurial scene. Yeah. So, um, it, uh, but yeah, it, I think if I would have graduated in, in 2002 or so, with the whole scene kind of uh, disappeared, at least for some years, um, I guess things would have played out differently. But uh, that's uh, how, how a lot of things are. But I cannot claim, you know, like others that I wanted to found a company when I was 12 already or so. That's, that simply wouldn't be true. <laughs> it was by accident, but I really got hooked. And I can only recommend, uh, you know, going this entrepreneurial journey. I mean, for me, it has really been um, uh, an extremely rewarding time. And uh, yeah, so uh, I wouldn't do it any different. That's that's very cool. So um, you started early also, if it was after university, that doesn't matter. Um, what were some of your top resources back then? You know, how, how did you manage to build a team to make the company successful then to actually turn into an investor and not a founder and all yeah. of that? Yeah, I mean, basically, we uh, we met at university. Yeah. So um, so then that's, I think, how a lot of teams get you know, initiated or get formed uh, yeah. at, at university. The problem at WHU back then, I mean, back then that wasn't a problem. Today, that's probably more of a problem. Um, uh, you know, at WHU, you just have one basically field that's that's taught and that's business. Yeah. So, um, and I'm, I'm, unlike at other universities, you know, for example, I've, I've studied um, uh, or I did my doctorate degree at 
uh, RWTH Aachen, you know, Technical University in Aachen, there you have a lot of different fields come together at the university. But um, there we just had basically uh, one, one field of, of studies. But still, back then, that wasn't so much of a problem because the business models that were kind of started back then were ex execution heavy, not so tech heavy. Um, so I think it was okay to be, be, be an all business kind of founder team, um, much more so than, than it was today. So that's how I got into it. Um, and um, then basically we had, we had an exit in 2006 that was more indirectly because our company which was called just books was taken over by um, a canadian startup that was more or less doing the same thing but in the antiquarian book space abe books uh, so they took us over and we got kind of got 25 percent or 23 percent or so of, of, of the joint company um, and that actually happened shortly after september 11th so we were like in the middle of uh, you know discussing the whole um, uh, like taking us over or merger um, like in the summer of 2001 and then you had September 11 and so we thought oh damn this is not going to happen because I don't know whether you remember that I mean you, you were probably really young back then I was but, born uh, in 2000 uh, so I was a kid <laughs> oh, okay so, uh, so so by 2001 you really thought the earth is you know the world's going to collapse I mean there was uh, you know not only the two twin towers but everything and and the, the DAX, the German stock index, just to show you kind of uh, how, how this collapse kind of also showed economically, I think went from 8,000 something to like 2,000 and something within one and a half years points. Yeah, I mean, today we're like at 12,000 or so. So that just shows the magnitude of, of where we went. Yeah. Yeah? So and so everything collapsed. Um, and, and so we thought this merger wouldn't happen or this takeover wouldn't happen, but it did happen and it turned out to be a pretty big success story. And so I, I owned a couple of percent of the, of the joint company and that was then bought by, by Amazon in 2006. And that was kind of, you know, the, the way for me to have some money. And I started investing mm, as an angel investor. And one of the first investments that I did back then was uh, Trivago. Yeah, so, and there were yeah. also a couple of other ones that were, that were good, but uh, NetMoms also turned out to be okay. But uh, so I started doing angel investing in 2006. And I thought, hmm, if everything turns out like Trivago, that's much better than working. <laughs> yeah. uh, I mean, in the end, it's uh, it turns out to be a, a lot of luck also. I mean, that's that's the one thing you need to always consider in angel investing. Yes, you need to bet on the right team, um, but especially if you do early, early stage investing like pre-seed, there's also a lot of timing, a lot of luck involved. Um, and I got like, lucky quite early and that's why it gave me the illusion that this is, you know, uh, you know a, a, a very interesting uh, field to be active in, and, and and it is, but it's obviously a lot harder and a lot longer term, um, or requires a lot of longer term thinking than than I originally thought. But that's how I got into angel investing, saw the first successes, and then in 2007, Rocket Internet started, and and I was uh, working for the Summer Brothers anyway. Um, because we had, you know, the Trivago investment, for example, was angel investment of me and uh, uh, the European Founders Fund invested. I knew Oliver from, from university um, and, and I'd worked for them when I was doing my PhD at, at Jamba, helping like the, um, um, in the online marketing and BI field at Jamba, like apart from doing yeah, my PhD. Yeah. And that's how I got to know them. And, and when they started Rocket Internet, um, they basically asked me whether I want to become a managing director there and, and heading kind of the, the operational piece there. Because the idea was, okay, uh, why should we invest in founders if they're not doing what Oliver wants anyway? Uh, why don't we found 
uh, or create these businesses ourselves and, and then kind of take the operational risk out of it by, by providing an, an operational infrastructure that will be able to, you know, repetitively um, mm-hmm. uh, fulfill kind of the execution needs uh, wanted. And, and I think in 2007, that was, that was the right thing at the right time. I mean, today you will probably do that a lot different because times have changed. But back then, um, there weren't too many people, at least in Germany or in Europe in general, that had in-depth knowledge of how to build digital businesses. So if you had done that a couple of times, especially in the B2C space, there was a huge advantage. Uh, obviously, that has changed a lot by today. Yes? So the, the knowledge of how to do this is a lot more distributed. But back then, it was a big advantage. And so Rocket came at the right time, point in time. And Oliver was one of the few people, you know, basically back then, that was able to generate or raise a lot of money um, back then, yeah, because I mean there were a lot fewer investors, a lot less venture capitalists. Um, a lot of the venture capitalists that had been around in Germany had had like died off during 2002 to 2004. So if you if you had money in 2007 or access to money and were able to organize it, that was a huge advantage too. And Oliver, so we had both of these advantages, and that carried Rocket to quite a lot of you know successes early on. Um, and and I, I stayed there for like four, four or five years. And then we had the chance to build Project A as basically our own franchise in, in like 2011, 2012. And, and we did that. And uh, now we're here. Uh, we've raised three funds uh, so far. In the meantime, we've, we still have like the operational angle that I liked a lot um, back at Rocket. But what we, what we do differently today is we, we're betting not on our own capabilities of building companies so much, but we actually, we, uh, you know, we try to back the right founders. And if you look at the founders today, they're obviously a lot different um, than, than what, what we saw in like 2001 or even 2007, in the sense that you know, a lot of the founders are much more product and, and tech savvy than, than we had it in 2001 anyway, but also 2006, seven. Uh, so, um, and I think that's also why this model of backing entrepreneurs as a, as a VC and supporting them is probably more fits fits the need of the time <laughs> yeah. of, of, of today than than you know the rocket model. Uh, but uh, in 2007, it was a it was a great model and I learned an awful lot. Yeah, that's how I got there. That's good. Yeah? Mm-hmm. That's that's good. Very interesting. Um, w- what has helped you most along the way? Which resources mm-hmm. was it? Mentors, reading books. What was it? Um, not books. I mean, I like books a lot, obviously. Otherwise, I wouldn't have founded also a platform training with books. So uh, books <laughs> are something. And, and my, my father is also like a very studious person. And so I'd always be at lots of books at home. But it wasn't books. It, it, for me, it's really um, the exchange with selected people. Um, so talking to others in the field of online marketing, the field of BI, and then, I mean, what was probably the most inspiring source for me or the, the biggest learning source was um, looking, like being able to look under the hood of quite a lot of ventures operationally and then just seeing how they developed and tried out certain things and, and try to, to like see patterns in that. That has been, I think, the biggest source of learning for me and, and it, is it until today. So not so much reading stuff, but actually rather doing stuff and observing what's the outcome and trying to learn through that. And yeah. I think over the last four or five years, 
podcast has become my main, I would say, external. What's your favorite podcast? Yeah. So, so I listen, I listen to to uh, quite a big range of podcasts, like the the German classic ones. I would say, you know, like online marketing rock stars, but also A16Z, uh, the the podcast from uh, Andreessen Horowitz. I listen to Masters of Scale. Uh, I uh, I also listen to things like the Tim Ferriss show. That's sometimes very interesting. Um, I listen to uh, the Harry Stebbings podcast, the VC, uh, the 20 minute VC podcast. Uh, I like uh, On the Way to New Work uh, from uh, Christopher Magnussen and uh, Mike Troutman. Uh, to obviously the, the the more marketing heavy ones, yeah, I like mm-hmm. the, I like those, like the marketing transformation podcast. Um, what's often also very good is um, uh, the exponent. Yeah? I don't know whether you know this one is a very often very strategic podcast with them, uh, Ben Thompson and, and James Allworth. It's so if you're interested in platform economy, that's that's good stuff. Obviously, Carsten Soder, Alexander Graf is is a good podcast. Uh, the knowledge project, knowledge project. I don't know whether you know that. Um, it's is a one. Actually, I, not no. Uh, that that is something I can recommend to anybody because they they go everybody they go onto um, like they take one topic. Let's say for example, understanding risk, and then they will get a person that really understands assessing risk well and interview mm. that person on assessing risk, or um, they will talk about. Um, uh, depression, yeah, and then we'll have and then like dive into that. Dive, dive into that. So often topics uh, that I don't deal with daily, but uh, yeah, I, I like I like that a lot. Um, so quite quite a big range. Um, no, there there were some good names in there. I think people can yeah. can take a lot from that. Um, but but for, the, but I think the biggest source of inspiration for me is really trying to set up your daily work or the way you work. I work with startups in a way that you can learn from observing what's happening. So really mm-hmm. this test and learn culture. yeah, um, And that is, I think, one of the biggest learnings I, I, I can put out anyway. I think the successful companies, that's at least the, what I observe, or the successful organizations are the ones that are able to produce continuous learning. And uh, how do they do that? They have a fact-based culture. Yeah? So decisions are made based on facts, based on data. Like Amazon is a, like the prime example for that, but you also see yeah. that in many startups. Yeah? So that actually, no matter what decision is taking, uh, taken, it's, it's often supported by experiments. Yeah? So you cannot just put out a thesis and then things are done based on the thesis. But if you put out a thesis, you have to back it up with actual data and with actual facts that are often generated by experiments. And I think if you're able to, to, to do that, it's, it's not only for your own individual learning, it's the, be- the best kind of, uh, you, know, you know, kind of setup. It's, it's also, I think, um, um, for you as an organization, it, it really brings continuous improvement forward. And the other thing that it really um, uh, brings forward is that um, people that have the best approaches and the best ideas gain, their sh- gain more share of voice. Yeah? Because in a lot of organizations, the problem is that those that are politically skilled get share voice. But the moment it's true. Yeah. If you the moment you are imp- able to implement a fact-based culture and ex- an experiment culture and a continuous learning-based culture that's based on data, based on facts, people are forced to think in experiments and are forced to think, okay, before I start whatever, 
I have to define what's actually a good result and how the results going to be measured. And the moment you, you get people into this kind of mode, you kind of automatically have, in, 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 have kind of instilled or implemented a continuous kind of learning process. And that for me has been, I think, the biggest source of inspiration and of ideas. Uh, but I mean, it also depends quite a lot. I mean, I'm just a person that, that is able to learn that way by just observing and recognizing patterns. I think that's also like my personal style. There's obviously other people that think differently, but I think um, um, that, that's like a key learning for me. Find out what is your path, your best path or your best approach uh, to, to learning and to, to gathering information and to making sense. And for me, that's this approach. There might be others, but that has worked for me incredibly well. That's that's very interesting. So, is that one of your one of your principles that you implemented at Project A? Um, at Project A, it's yeah, yes. On the one hand, yes. On the other hand, the problem with Project A uh, is that we don't do stuff ourselves, right? So, we only do it via or uh, with together with um, ventures that we invest in. Yeah. So, um, so for us, it's not only the layer of what we want to do, but there's also the layer of what the entrepreneurs or the startups or the people that take decisions in the startups we work with or that we invest in find sensible. Yeah. So for us, it's it's like sometimes a little more indirect, but in principle, yes, we we try to have the same kind of culture, um, but obviously it's a little more indirect and a little more more difficult to sometimes do that. Because we not only, but on the, on the, on the other hand, what, that's also what I tell um, um, people at Project A, um, if the entrepreneurs or the startups in the end take the decision of whether we follow a certain path or take a, take, take a certain measure or follow a certain initiative, and if we are not able to convince them that this is the right kind of thing to do right now, then we probably weren't convincing enough. Uh, so, uh, so, so in the end, it's not only doing a certain stuff in a, in a good way or a certain project in a, in, a, in a certain way but also convincing um, convincing the, the responsible people at a respective startup that this is the right thing to work on right now yeah so yeah yeah how how do we make sure to always or to to implement things like that um at the startup so it's i i like the idea but you obviously want to other people to 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 work with that too right yeah and, and that is the biggest problem, um, I would say, or the biggest uh, sometimes also source of frustration uh, of, of, of probably my daily work. Um, I think there's a lot of things where I am convinced that they should be done um, in a certain way. And I'm 99% I'm sure that that is right. But obviously, if, if entrepreneurs want to go a different path, that, that's also completely okay. Yeah. So because, and, and, and I think that is something that you need to accept um, also as an investor, and I think that's one of the key principles, I think we weren't as good as uh, to, to accept this at, at, back at Rocket, was in the end, it was, there's, there's several ways to bring a company to a fruitful kind of development. And what's the right kind of way, you don't really know uh, up front, but it has to fit authentically um, to the founder or the founding team. And if they yeah. decide to go a certain path, it's it's our duty kind of to accept that even if we think in that very moment that this might be the wrong decision and and that's not that easy uh, because um 
you know, if you're sure that something should be done in a different way, it's sometimes if you're really emotionally involved, uh, a difficult thing to, to, to stand back and basically let the wrong thing happen. But if you think mid to long term, it's still the right thing because as long as you're convinced, because we saw that at Rocket quite, quite a lot of times, if you, if you try to overrule entrepreneurs by means of an work, investor right? decision, it doesn't work long term. Long, long term. Yeah, it's the same as if 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 you basically. I mean, the comparison or the analogy is sometimes a little a little wrong, but it illustrates the point, and that's why I want to want to make it anyway. Uh, we have four, four kids. Yeah, my wife, my wife and I. And obviously, they do a lot of things that you don't necessarily <laughs> think <laughs> are, are right. But I can imagine still, that. I have to I have to have to let that happen uh, unless they you know uh, hurt themselves really really badly because they need to make experiences themselves and they need to come to their own conclusion and find their own way and and what what we often did wrong I think at, at Rocket was we interfered too early and that led to the fact that you know entrepreneurs or the people we brought in for the startups they kind of emotionally checked out um, after being overruled mm. a couple of times. And that's what I always tell, you know, our people, uh, if we work with startups, they are in the driver's seat in the end. And as long as they are on the right path overall, it's our duty kind of to support them. And yes, we can convince them or we can try to convince them of certain initiatives that should be done in a certain way. But in the end, they take the decision and it's still our, our responsibility to back them. Yeah, so... Because that's the only way that they can find their own authentic kind of approach in running and building a company and organization. And, and that's really what I've learned. Um, and it also mirrors or reflects in the, in the studies that you see on entrepreneurial success. I mean, there's a lot of studies that try to find out that entrepreneurs have to behave this way or that way or that characteristic or that characteristic. In the end, they don't really lead to, to clear results yeah? because there is not the perfect entrepreneur per se. There's the right kind of entrepreneurial constellation, entrepreneurial team or set of skills represented by the team that fits a very specific situation in a very specific point in time, but that cannot be generalized. Yeah? And what yeah. I'm basically saying is our job is not to do it for them, but our job is to ideally accelerate the process to find the right authentically kind of fitting uh, kind of configuration that's right for the entrepreneurs um, or the entrepreneurial team. Um, and and uh, they have to find it themselves and we cannot prescribe it. Uh, we can basically say, mm, I think it's the right thing to have the, like this data-driven culture uh, or I think it's the right thing to have kind of this um, data warehouse and build that early. I think that's the right kind of thing to do um, uh, but in the end, they have to take the decisions. And that, that is sometimes, as you can imagine, frustrating. <laughs> yeah, I believe <laughs> if that. Sure, if you're sure that, that, that they're on the wrong path. But I think that's still mid to long term, the only thing that you can do, uh, yeah. that you can do it as an investor. Yeah, yeah very good point. I think people, people can take a lot from that. Um, last question before we uh, wrap up here with the Fantastic Four was, which role does personal branding play on the one hand for you as an investor and on the other hand um, um, for you, for, for, for the startups that you invest in or the founders that you invest in? Yeah, I think, I mean, personal branding wasn't a big topic 10 years ago. Yeah, I mean, obviously, yes, you had somebody like, uh, you know, uh, Steve Jobs or so that that like some sort of of personal brand or in the US you always had 
like probably more outgoing entrepreneurs. Um, but I think with things like LinkedIn and, and Instagram and especially LinkedIn in the, in the business kind of context, um, but also, I mean, you can see the politics. Uh, I mean, something like Donald Trump wouldn't be explainable without uh, personal branding or like the role of social media. So I think that has, has really a broad, like having a direct channel to your audience, whether it's customers, prospects, candidates, um, like having, if, if you are able to do this as an entrepreneur or as an entrepreneurial team, that has really, that can really accelerate um, uh, development of a business that can really lower marketing cost. Uh, if, if you're able to do that, I think if you look at the marketing cost of Tesla, uh, without, uh, without somebody like Elon Musk, I, I, I'm sure the percentage, you know, that companies like Volkswagen need to spend on marketing is a lot higher. And I, and I think some difference, uh, apart from, you know, having an innovative and unique product is also the role that, that somebody like Elon Musk plays. So, so I think if, if you are able to and willing, obviously, to authentically communicate via social media on a certain level, that can definitely help your company and the development of your company. I think what, what people or founders need to understand or need to find the right approach in is what is the right kind of personal branding approach that also has an ideally direct effect on your business. Yeah? Because obviously, yeah. or direct connection to your business, because obviously you can build a personal brand and you can build a lot of reach on, on let's say, uh, Instagram yeah, without or now It needs TikTok. to convert into business results. Exactly, uh, but, but, but it's, it's, it's really key whether it's possible to find an approach that you know, has a high overlap uh, and, and a high kind of uh, you know, uh, transferability uh, to what you actually do. Um, and, and, and I think that's sometimes something, you know, there are some founders that are not very successful with their business that have great success on the personal branding side where I would say, I don't know. Yeah, they like, probably the, the, got a little carried away by the success <laughs> yeah. uh, they saw on social media. But in the end, if you cannot if you cannot convert it to something that is um, core your core business, it, it, it's quite quite meaningless. Yeah, but I think if, if you look at but if you look at for example, I mean, investors before Andreessen Horowitz, I would say investors on average were kind of reluctant to go out and communicate a lot. Yeah? I mean, yes, they had websites, but sometimes they didn't even have that. Yeah? And until today, you, you see like investors like DST that are huge investors in the, in the late stage and, and very reputable, you wouldn't even find a website. I think they still don't have a website. Yeah? So, mm -hmm. um, so there, there are still people that, that do this, but I think with Andreessen uh, as, as kind of the first ones doing it, uh, you see today a lot more investors producing content to to like yeah. show some kind of thought leadership and in the end attract entrepreneurs um, they can invest in or attract LPs uh, to convince them that they are actually thought leaders in a certain field so LPs should feel better if they deploy the money. So I think especially if you are if you are a new player on the investment scene and you need to position yourself. Uh, and you're not Mark Zuckerberg. I mean, if you're Mark Zuckerberg doing a VC fund, you don't probably don't need that <laughs> because you have a lot of credibility anyway as a as a person. But I think if yeah. you if you if you need to build 
a new kind of positioning, I think uh, personal branding of partners is, is a very effective tool to get visibility in the market and also show clearly why founders should take money from you. Yeah? So, uh, and I think we are also communicating quite a lot as, as Project A, and I think it has helped us. Uh, but I think the approach that we're taking, and you might might be noticing it, if we communicate, we often, we don't say, oh, we are Project A and we are such a great investor, but we actually, uh, what, what we, uh, we sometimes do that, but we very often, or most of the communication that you'll find from us is often operational, operationally relevant content, because yeah. that's what we want to position ourselves in. Yeah, We basically want to say, we are probably the investor with the deepest knowledge and the biggest bench when it comes to operational experts. And that's why the content that you'll find from us is often uh, circling somehow ar around this. I mean, it's not 100% strict, but I think personal branding, because we, you know, you obviously don't communicate always on a, on a Project A kind of level, but you communicate with individuals that work for Project A to display a certain picture. And I think that is something that is a learning from, from um, social, social media or social media-based communication that individuals communicating often works better than institutions communicating. And I think uh, that that's what we try to, uh, what we try to do, and that you, that's what you'll see also from other investors more and more, um, you know, trying to, like having partners or people working on the operational uh, platform that they, that they have, try to put out content that, that is useful to entrepreneurs or useful to LPs or maybe useful to, to potential employees uh, for portfolio yeah. companies. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks. Thanks for the views on this one. Okay. So let's wrap up here with fantastic four. Question number one, is there a CEO that you're following or studying right now? Um, is there a CEO that? That you're following or studying right now? Mm, uh, I always take a look at what, uh, uh, what uh, Tarek Müller is doing at About You. Mm -hmm. yeah. mm -hmm. um, and I'm, um, I'm quite intensively trying to understand what NASPAS is doing. Yeah, so posos on NASPAS, that's that's something that I'm taking a look at uh, like quite intensively because I think you can learn a lot from, from that. Um, and is there anybody else? Yeah, that's definitely, right. yeah, yeah. But those are probably the, the, the two companies I'm following the most uh, or the two basically also the CEOs. Um, yeah. yeah. Okay, next question. Do you have any routines that you strictly follow on a day-to-day -day basis? I do sports twice a week. And mm -hmm. uh, I have breakfast almost every day with my kids. And I try, to, I try to have uh, uh, basically supper with my kids at least four out of five times a week. Yeah. Awesome. So you, you basically already mentioned probably the answer of the next question, but what's your favorite social media platform for a business? Uh, definitely LinkedIn. Okay, last question, Florian. What do you wish you knew when you were 20 years old? Mm, that it would have been a better idea to study something tech-related than business-related. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much for your insights. Yeah, sure.